And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Derek Van Riper, joined today by Scott Jensted of Rotowire. Scott is one of the most accomplished NFBC players I know, an all-around great guy. He knows the A's inside and out. We've competed in NFBC leagues. We actually competed in the same TGFBI league, I think it was last year, in the shortened season, right? It came down to the very last day. I think if it were a yep. normal season, Scott would have won. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm taking the, the cheap victory here. I don't think I've ever finished ahead of Scott in any league otherwise that we've played in. Scott, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, good. That's a that's a that's a nice intro. I appreciate it, uh, Derek. Uh, good to good to chat with you. I appreciate you guys inviting me. I miss. Uh, we used to do the fantasy football podcast together over at Rotter, so I miss I miss hearing your voice. I miss seeing you. I miss seeing you at events and uh, and having a beer together. So it's uh, it's really good to see you. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, those days are coming back around, right? And uh, yeah. you played in the football pentathlon that I put together a few years ago. Yep. Hopefully, that comes back in twenty twenty one. It was fun to be in that. Something kind of different. So. Yeah. Some organizational work to be done there. And of course, Scott is one of the hosts on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball podcast as well. The Sunday night, Monday morning episode with Jeff Erickson every week. Really good to listen to that. So if you don't already listen to that podcast, you should subscribe to that podcast and listen to it because it's really good. Um, I want to talk about some A stuff as we get yeah. started. We'll talk about some things that we maybe did wrong in draft season. We'll talk about some in-season management throughout the show as well. Uh, but I've had people asking me questions about Ramon Laureano. Mostly, you know, what will it take for me to get him from you on teams where I have him? And he's been great so far. Seven homers, eight steals. Slash line looks kind of like a typical Ramon Laureano slash line. Is this just a return to 2019? Or he is he unlocking something that's a new level where this is actually going to lead to some kind of massive, better than 2019 breakout? Uh, I think probably the former more than anything. I mean, he looks great. He looks locked. He's one of those guys that's that's just super, super intense. It's weird. Like even like post-game interviews, like he doesn't let his guard down at all. It's like super intense when you talk. It's it's very strange to see him in post-game interviews. But I think he's one of those guys that gets very locked in for a while. And then uh, wait, wait, more than anything, he's got to stay healthy. Like last year was weird. Last year he came into the year with that, that calf injury. Then he had the Alex Centrone fight where he charged uh, charged the Astros entire dugout. And, I you know, got suspended. And it, it weirdly like – it's something I don't know. It's just he just never got fully on track last year. I, I love what I'm saying. He's carrying them right now. He had that. I don't know if you saw the eighth inning the other night where he tie game uh, makes a catch like uh, to rob a rob a double, maybe a home run over the top of the wall, and then hits a home run in the bottom of the inning. One of those like you know guy makes a great play and then comes up and does something. They always say that cliche, but it never actually happens, and it actually happened this time. So um, he's just playing great. He's locked in his intense. Weirdly, he stole. We say he stole eight bases the first like twelve games of the year. Has not has, has attempted one steal since August thirteenth or April thirteenth. So I don't know if that weird stolen base thing was a little bit of a flurry and now he's not doing anymore because he's hitting some home runs but 
man, it looks good. He's matching the ball at 46% hard hit rate, like almost a 14% barrel rate, kind of numbers similar to his rookie year when we all got really excited about him. Um, yeah, it's been fun. I, I don't think I'd, uh, I think I'd sell high if I could, just cause I think the, uh, I think the strikeouts kind of keep him from, a, from being a big batting average guy. And I worry a little bit if he sticks to the top of the lineup, but right now he he's rolling. Um, he's hitting, he's hitting second for them. It's, uh, it, it's been fun. It's been, he's been like, I don't know, like the best five players to watch in baseball. It's always a show, but, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think I'd actually sell high, which is uh, you know, strange for me to say an A's player, but I think we're looking at like a really good 2019 rather than a, a massive, huge breakout 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair way to look at it. I think the the schedule maybe played a role in the stolen bases early, too, because if you remember last season, Tommy Pham was running wild early in the season, and he was running all over Arizona. Three of those steals for Loriano back beginning of the season actually came against Arizona. I think four four more happened around the same time, two against Houston and the three more against the Dodgers. So. Yeah. There must have been something in some of the pitchers they were matched up with or some of the batteries they're matched up with that stacked up favorably because it has been uh, kind of quiet on the base pass ever since. But uh, definitely some good take there, I think, with Loriano and expectations for him. Uh, Matt Olson's also kind of standing out to me right now, Scott. I mean, I thought we had him figured out, and I noticed this maybe a week or so ago. His K rate is way down, and the supporting metrics behind the strikeout rate have improved a lot, too. Has he significantly altered his approach in a way where we can believe that this reduced K-rate Matt Olson or a reduced K-rate Matt Olson is actually going to happen? I'd go with I'd go with altered probably more than significantly altered. I think that I think we can I think 2020 was a huge weird outlier for him uh, you know strikeout wise. You look at his numbers you know, he kind of 28 percent his first, first kind of half year and they dropped in the in the mid 20s and last year spiked to 31.4 percent K and I just last year was one of those years like it, it was so quick in 60 games like you could tell the guys that started slow were like, oh my God, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit 195 for the season. Like you could just tell they were like, I don't have enough time to fix this. And you could you could almost see it in Olsen's swing. He was pressing. He ended up hitting a buck ninety-five, but um, was a big target for me. I ended up with him in one of my two main event drafts just because I I just didn't think that was him, the real player. And he's been he's been great so far. Um, you know, aside from taking the ball off the L screen in the eye the other day, he's uh, he's had a pretty good campaign. Uh, you know, uh, seven home runs already, 19 RBIs, uh, you know, hitting 280, which I, I think is uh that that's we're reaching the upper level of what's really gonna happen there. So He's at 20.4% strikeout right now. I think, you know, if we got to like a 23, 24, probably where he'll settle in. And I think he'll be a really good player at that rate. I mean, always hits the ball hard. I mean, hard hit and barrel stuff. You don't even need to talk about it because it's, it's always there year after year. But, you know, if he brings that strikeout from 31 to 23, suddenly he's not that batting average hole. And I think a, a lot of people were scared about. Yeah, I think that's probably the safest way to look at him. And that puts him right back into that range he was in from 2017 to 2019, right? 247 to 267 is kind of his range when things are going right. He ends up on the high end when things are maybe going a little bit wrong with batted balls in play. He ends up on the low end, but 247, especially in this league yep. environment, is not going to hurt yeah. you that bad anyway, and yeah. I'm with you on the power. Imagine if he played in a more hitter-friendly park. I mean, he'd be a 45 to 50 home run guy. He could pull like a Jorge Soler season from 2019 if he played in the right park. Yeah, it's crazy. You got 2019 where he actually missed the first whatever that was first six weeks of the year for that handmade bone. Everybody's like, oh, we can't draft him because A, he's going to miss six weeks and then the power is going to be gone. 
Yeah, all he did was hit 36 bombs in 127 games. Uh, yeah, the park doesn't help, but like most of his home runs, I don't really think it matters anyway. Like he's one of those guys that is not hitting a bunch of wall scrapers. And when usually when they're gone, he can kind of look at them and, and they're gone. I think that uh, I think 40 home runs is very much in play. But you're right. If you, you got him in the right ballpark, you know, 50 might be in play. He's that he's that kind of power guy. He's going to hit some slumps. You know, he's one of those guys that's a little streaky. And, you know, you, there's times where he looks pretty lost in the plate. But uh, when he's locked in, there's there's not many more guys that once they hit a fly ball, you know, it's gone more than Matt Olson. Yeah, a lot of no doubters, a lot of barrels in that yeah. profile. I want to talk about Mark Canha with you for a moment because I've never really figured him out. I, I thought 2019 was just the ball and some good luck kind of mixed together for the perfect season. Shortened season wasn't quite as good on a per plate appearance basis, but he started running a little bit last year. He had four steals in 59 games. He's got five and six attempts in 31 games this year. What the heck is going on with Canna in? Is this similar to what's going on with former A, Robbie Grossman, Detroit, who <laughs> has started stealing bases all of a sudden? It's weird. I think Canna, like, Canna's just so, he's kind of boring. Like, you, you watch him, there's not a lot to him, but he's just really solid. Like, the, the walk rate popped up in 2019. He's maintained that. And, you know, he's been a really good OBP guy the last three years. What is he? 396, 387, 384. It's a really good player right there. And it's funny, everybody was talking about who's going to lead off in Loreano. And, like, you look at spring training, the first week Canna was leading off. I'm like, I think it's going to be him. And it's smart. He gets on base. You know, you want guys on base in front of Chapman and Olsen. I think the stolen bases are really mindset. I mean, he's, a, he's got a decent, he's like a 76 percentile sprint speed guy this year. But I think when it's weird, like it, it sounds weird and you can't really quantify it. But when you hit leadoff, you, you suddenly like, I think you feel like you maybe do a, a few different things. And I think that with guys who are, you know, not super fast, you know, that always going to steal and not super slow, they're never going to steal. I think a lot of it is mindset and want to, and, you know, kind of picking your spots. And I think you get that with Canna and Grossman. They're both leading off. Um, you know, Grossman has six stolen bases. Four of them are when he leads off an inning. So, I mean, he's, he's getting on base and he's going. Um, Canna's two of his five were when the first inning when he let off and got on base and then Three of them are kind of situational. Two of them were spots where someone else stole third that he kind of stole second behind him a couple of pitches later. Um, so, you know, I think he's just kind of picking his spots. And, you know, I don't think we're going to get 25 stolen bases out of Canna, but I think that uh, I think like, you know, 13 to 17 somewhere in there is pretty realistic. And I think he's going to pick spots. He's never going to, you know, steal three in a game. But, you know, if he's got a time where, where the base is there, I think he's going to grab it. He's really smart. He's not slow. And I think it's just a, it's a mindset approach thing that maybe he figured he wants to do it this year. He's leading off, and I think he's just decided to. And with stolen bases, I think I think the want to is a pretty big thing that we 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 can't really quantify when we talk about our fantasy stats. Yeah, as much as we'd love to know who wants yeah. to steal bases, yeah. we really don't. From even from a, like a team perspective yep. too, it's not always obvious going into the season. And one thing that's really surprised me is the Padres, as that offense has gotten better, they still run. They yeah, run they a do. lot. Like I thought. Yeah. I thought that was an Andy Green thing a few years ago. And, like, well, they're a bad team. They got to find a way to manufacture runs. But someday when all these young players come up and they get better, they're not going to run anymore. No, they're the most aggressive team in the league on the base paths. And I kind of love it. I just wish teams had to state their intent. Like, we are an aggressive base running team. We <laughs> right. will give anyone and everyone who wants a green light a green light. Great. Yeah, all right. I'll take more chances on some guys that could run on your team than if you did that. You know, I'd, I just want to know who has green lights and, and who doesn't. Uh, and then, you talk- look, then you look at the Mets and they have three stolen bases as a team. Granted, it, it helps that Frisco Lindor never gets on base, but oh, they have three stolen bases and four caught stealings as a team. Like, it's crazy when you look at that and we're, what, five and a half weeks into the season. Uh, wildly, we look, look at the Potters where they have 38 or something like that. It's, 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 you're right. Team, team setup, team dynamic, what teams want to do. Make, uh, stolen bases is the one stat where it makes such a huge difference. It's almost just like different teams have learned at different points the risk reward the value of running 
and some have realized, okay, we overcorrected for a while. It's fine. We yeah. can run again. And some haven't. Oh, wait, 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 we still can't run at all. It's, it's still, still a negative EV play to steal bases. Like, no, it's not as bad as you think, especially now that it seems like pitchers and catchers are getting worse at yeah. controlling the running game, too. So now your success rate could go up simply because teams aren't as good at preventing you from stealing bases. So that changes the dynamics a little bit, too. Uh, let's talk about some of the A's pitching. Frankie Montas, we're at the point now, Scott, where his 2019 breakout and the number of starts he's made between last year's shortened season and early in 2021 are pretty close to even workloads. If I asked you to forecast what the next 20 starts from him are going to look like, what would you say they're going to turn out to be? I would say uh, much better than they are right now, but not the 2.63 ERA of 2019. But I, what I like about him is he's, he's throwing really hard still. He's throwing he's throwing 96. The swing strike rate is good. It's 12.3%. I think that we're going to see the, the strikeouts kind of bump back up a little bit. But, you know, it's weird. It's just, it's just the, like when he doesn't have it, it's one of those guys, you know, you see a lot of pitchers, like you see like a Max Scherzer, like you can tell he doesn't have it, but he can kind of work through it and figure it out. It seems like Montas has not quite gotten there. You can tell when the when the splitter's not working, when the slider's not working, he just kind of struggles to, to figure out how to get guys out. You look at it, he has, he's had four good starts and then two absolute blowups. And when it's not there, I don't think he's kind of taken that one step to figure out, you know, how to get guys out in that situation. The K rate's down, but the walk rate's down too, which I really like to see. Last year, the, the 2020, you know, only 53 innings, but the walk rate was really up. And that worried me a little bit. But you look at 2018 2019 walks were not an issue for him at all um so i don't i, I think that uh, that walk rate in 2020 will be a bit a little bit an outlier too kind of like what we were talking about earlier with with loriano or with olsen and the strikeout rate um the problem is you look he's getting hit hard he's he's uh he's giving up a 12 percent barrel rate right now 44 percent hard hit so that's a little concerning but i think he's throwing hard i think he needs to mix in the change or the splitter a little bit more that's a really good pitch for him and why i liked him in 2019 to break out is he added that pitch and um, it's still really good. It's just he's not using it a ton. I don't think he's gotten in spots where he can really use it. But uh, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's not going to be, um, you know, the, the 2019 breakout kind of numbers. But, yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know, you give me a number, I'll go like uh, I go like a 3.85 ERA to end the year, somewhere in that range where it's really helpful. But, you know, not not winning you a league, but uh, certainly someone that's, that's very usable and eventually will be maybe right around that draft price where he was taken. Yeah, and depending on how people are reacting in leagues where you can make trades, maybe an opportunity to go out and actually make a deal for him in a lot of leagues out there. Because when you watch him, when he's good, the stuff is really good. That's enough for me to say, yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and take this chance. And if the ratios are still bad, at least I'm going to get K's. You know, I'll, I'll take that risk when I have the the high K floor that Montas tends to bring from a start to start basis. Uh, the other A's pitcher that I'm really curious about, for your perspective, is. Jesus Luzardo. Like I I thought Rias and Luzardo belonged next to each other in rankings and expectations, really each of the last two seasons now. And it really feels like Urias has taken that big step and Luzardo hasn't. Of course, he gets hurt playing video games. I, I don't, mean, don't get me started. So <laughs> what game was he playing? <laughs> and why did he throw his controller? You know, and and what what did it hit? What when he followed I, through? What did he hit? His I, I, say, I wish he just threw his controller. If he just done that, we'd be fine. It's just the it's the <laughs> punching the closet or whatever he did afterwards that's the problem. <laughs> I like the I like the bump into a table quote before. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's exactly what happened. No, I mean, if you think back to when you were in your late teens, early twenties, the most mad you ever got playing a video game. It's possible for me, at least like I could have broke a finger at some point. You want, like, you want me to tell you the quick 30 second story of that? 
Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 so, hear it. So we're playing. I'm in college. We're playing what Madden. I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself, but like you know, mid '90s Madden. And I had a friend that literally would run the Walter Payton sweet play with the '84 Bears every single play, and he would tell me it's coming to the point <laughs> that I would I would actually move my linebackers over to that spot, put ten guys on that side of the field, and he'd still run the play and dive for like seven yards, and it was the most frustrating experience <laughs> of my entire life. To the point that I got up and I punched a hole in my roommate's closet. <laughs> See, it can happen. Like, it, we're now granted the closet was literally like paper. Like I, there was no, there's no strength as much. I kind of like hit it and not thinking, and it actually put an actual hole in it. So I, I can't blame him except for a. We're probably close to the same age, so I can't blame him for that. But uh, no one paid me millions of dollars to do anything with my right hand, so I, I feel like I have a little excuse. Whereas Lazardo uh, should know better. See, and I, I had a similar moment, not with a video game but with a Wisconsin Northwestern game when I was a junior in college. I was sitting in my living room. Is that the was, Ron Dane fumble? No, it was, uh, uh, it was, that's a, it was a little before I was in school, uh, but it was a, oh boy, it was uh, Tyrell Sutton, I think, was their uh, young running back at the time, and he went, he went wild in that game, ran all over Wisconsin's defense. It was a year where Wisconsin <laughs> was supposed to be pretty good. I was about a junior in college. I didn't take it real well. And I just got mad after, as the game ended. I just pulled one of these on my coffee table just to yeah. like a slam the fist down. Like, come on, I can't believe this just happened. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I broke anything. I broke the table because it was a crappy IKEA table. And of again, course. not an amazing feat of strength, just a feat of stupidity. <laughs> right. Right. And um, anyway, thinking back to you know my experiences like that, I'm not like that now. Right. I either. can at least relate to Lazardo getting yeah. hurt this way. So I'm not going to permanently judge him for this, but. As far as what you've seen from him in the six starts before he got hurt this year, did you feel like he was starting to make some progress and was getting ready to take that step forward? Or did you see a lot of inconsistency that we've seen from him in the past? You know, unfortunately, the latter. Uh, you know, I'm an A's fan. I really want to be like, here comes the Jesus Lizardo, Cy Young breakout kind of elite guy. And he just has so many issues with home runs. Like, it seems like every time he's going well, he'll, he'll make a bad pitch. And you're like, oh, there it is again. And you know, he's throwing more sinkers. It's up 11% to 31%. And that pitch is getting killed. It's a 343 batting average against a 514 slug. You know, the changeup's still really good. The, the, the curveball is really good. It's a 56% whiff pitch right now. It's really good, but he only throws that like 17% of the time. I think it's a pitch mix thing. I think everything's there. I think he just hasn't figured out how to like get guys in the right count and then finish them off yet. Um, you know, it was rough before the injury. The K rate's 23.6%, walk rate up to 9.4% worries me a little bit, but we're talking about 28 innings. And, you know, he hasn't been a, a big guy, a guy that, you know, walks are a huge issue for. So I'm not too worried there. But uh, the home runs are an issue. The hard hit balls are an issue for me. I'm a little bit worried about that. But more than anything, like, he just can't seem to stay on the field. And I think he's a guy that needs to make a start every fifth day for a year and maybe like kind of like Urias did last year. And then maybe get the, maybe get the step up the next year. You kind of learn, but uh, I don't know. It's disappointing. I don't, I, we haven't really seen a timetable yet on him, which is, you know, concerning. I don't know if it's like one of those things that he kind of broke his pinky and he'll be fine in two weeks or, you know, he's a pitcher with his left hand and <laughs> you know, he needs two and a half months. Like I just have no idea. It's hard to know with a pitcher, you know, once he grips the ball and you know, crazy that he went out there and pitched that day. Like they actually checked it out as always the, the A's crack medical team is really on top of stuff so there it's perfect that we guy breaks his finger and he's out there pitching and getting smoked but um yeah so i i'm it's funny i, I love the a's i love lazardo but i'm never the highest guy on him in the in the room i'm i very I, I ended up with him in one uh you know rotowire fpc online team this year but i think it was more kind of a he's it's the right spot and i want to grab him on one team but like in the main event like i wasn't even really close to getting there's always someone that likes him more than me in the room which is which is weird considering i'm an a's fan it always kind of feels good when 
the room likes the player more than you do and you're just right by simply not yeah. doing anything you're just kind yeah. of sitting back like if he's there in two rounds i'll take him but he's never sure. there in two rounds so i can't and kind of exact kind of exactly the way i went with Lizardo. it's always like oh here it comes and then i'm like oh it's a round before i'm even thinking about it so uh, i think it's gonna come at some point i just uh i'm not super uh, optimistic that it's like coming right now i guess so the best let's say the the best projection for him the rest of the way is steamer 375 123 whip you over or under those ratios? Yeah, I'd be really happy with that. An A's fan, I probably, I probably go a little bit over though on the on the ratios. Yeah, career four twenty seven and one twenty nine. I almost think the career might be the the better guide right now, just based on. Yeah. I'd probably go seen. somewhere in the middle if I had to, but like I said, I just, we just don't know when he's coming back. Uh, yeah, I think if you get, a, I think you get a four the rest of the way, you're probably uh, you're probably okay with that. Yeah, and I think there's going to be some weird times where you. You think you should start him, and you do, yeah. and he gets hit, and you have him on your bench sometimes, and he right. thrives against someone good. Like some of that's going to happen, I think, with Lazardo too. Is and even even more than that, I I still worried about him going deep into games coming into this year, and where his price was. I mean, you look at him, and what is he's he's made was that six starts, and he's over five and a third once. He had that six and two thirds where he looked he looked good against Baltimore, but you know, still gave up seven hits and three runs in that game. He looked he looked good against the Dodgers too, but. I don't know. I, he's, it's hard when when wins are tough as it is. I don't think you're getting you're not going to get seven inning outings out of him. And you know he's one of those guys that when he struggles in the fourth and fifth, like Melvin's pretty quick to go out there and get him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I want to pull back and talk about some things that you were accounting for from the shortened season that you feel maybe you've accounted for correctly. I mean, we're far enough in where we're kind of seeing how teams are managing players and how they're trying to respond to what happened a year ago. And we're not all the way through it, of course. There's going to be some stuff that happens around the All-Star break. There's probably going to be some more pitchers than usual who get shut down at some point in yeah. August and September. But do you feel like you made the necessary adjustments in draft prep season to account for the weirdness of 2020, be that the shortened season itself or the schedule or the other quirks? I mean, you mentioned earlier just players maybe even pressing because they knew if they slumped for a couple of weeks, they weren't going to have enough time to push those numbers back to career levels. It's funny. I think you know me pretty well. I'm one to like pull out my, my faults as much as the things I do well. in. so it's kind of half and half for me. Um, you know, I really, I really thought that uh, there was a, there was a, a kind of a, a panic and overcorrection, a lot of 2020 stats and I've done it well on identifying hitters that I thought that was the case. Like I have JD Martinez on like three of my four NFBC teams. I have Matt Olson on my other main event team where I didn't get JD Martinez. So, you know, hitters that I thought, you know, pressed and just couldn't catch up. And like, I think JD Martinez last year, 
they talk about the video stuff, all that. But I still think if you got a six month season, you still would have gotten JD Martinez. I mean, he hit he hit two thirteen with seven home runs, and I think it's just like you look at any season, you maybe not find a sixty game stretch quite that bad, but you'll you'll find some stretches that are pretty rough, even for the best of hitters. But you know, I think I, what I did looking at drafts, and I, I really this year, you know, we talked about you, you mentioned in the, in the write up my my article I wrote for the magazine, you know, talking about you know really focusing on the final two thirds of the draft. Right, I think more than anything this year. Focusing on what I wanted towards the back of the draft really helped me figure out what I want to do at the front in terms of like positions and stats. I realized that, you know, kind of two thirds of my draft pack, how bad outfield was in a 15 teamer. Like it's weird that like you look at fab right now in a 15 teamer, it's impossible to find good outfielders. Like it's weird. You never think of it that way, but you know, I'm picking up really terrible. I, I have Mauricio Dubon in the outfield this week on a team just because he was going to cores and he's eligible outfield and you know, everybody's getting hurt. It's just, it's really hard to find outfielders. So I noticed that and I kind of moved up. I realized that filling up my outfielders by like the 15th, 16th round wasn't as bad a thing as it normally is. Usually I'm like, I want a couple late picks because you know, the 20th round I can find out those I love. And I want to, you know, I want to have one or two where I can grab some of these targets for me. But um, so that was a big thing for me, you know, looking for pockets of value late, I think is important both from a, a stat category and a position like nowhere, you know, if you, if there's a bunch of like steel guys in the 18th, 20th round, you kind of want to take a shot on, you know, that maybe in that seventh round, you could take that home run hitter. You kind of backfill that. Whereas if, you know, we looked at steals this year and after the third round, there weren't any. So it was like, I had, I realized that Starling Marte was a bigger target for me. Worked great for the first three weeks. And now is obviously a disaster because he got hurt, but you know, you can't, you can't look at that in the results versus process, but yeah, uh, hitters have worked well, pitching, not quite as well. And closers um, badly. I, I don't have uh Emmanuel Clause. I don't have Mark Melanson. I don't have Ian Kennedy. Like those guys that if you hit on them late in closers, like you're doing really well right now and saves, you're not even worrying about it. And there's, there's like three or four of them where the guys in the middle are really struggling. You know, Hector Narisa is pitching well, but, you know, who knows there? And like someone like Alex Colomay obviously has been a total mess. So, um, you know, identifying those late closers, if you did it well, like I wasn't on Melanson at all. I was kind of on Kennedy a little bit late, but, you know, didn't end up getting him. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's important to, to really figure out that back half of the draft. It really helps the front half. I think that we on shows and articles and like that just focus so much on, like, ranking the first round where, you know, you're going to get a good player there. You don't know what your pick is anyway, and there's no point in really stressing about Acuna versus Tatis versus Trout versus Betts. If you're going to end up with the 12th pick, like, you wasted all your time right there. So I think that it's one of those things that once I get my draft pick, I really hone in on that range if I, range if I need to. But, like, I think people focus on the first round just way too much. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true, and it's easier to talk about stars because you're less yeah. likely to be loud wrong, I guess, yeah. in, in those cases. And everybody knows all those players, and they're fun to talk about. I do get that, but you know, for the most part, unless you get someone hurt, you're going to get someone that's really good in that range, and it's, uh, I don't know, I just don't, I don't stress about it that much. So we obviously have more tools in the toolbox than ever, right? Baseball yeah. savant continues to explode. I mean, Fangraph's pages are more robust now than they were even a few years ago, and as you're sifting through, let's just call it the non-top 100 guys, just to sure. give them a group, or non-top 150 guys. You're kind of going through there. What has become kind of vital in your toolbox to figure out who you actually want in that range? Because there's so much noise out there. There are so many stats out there that they're fun, but they're not necessarily predictive or helpful yeah. or meaningful. Uh, so what are you using now that you might not have been using even five or so years ago. And it's hard, right? Because you can, if you want to look at one player, you can spend an hour on his stats and break everything down. But as you're doing a draft and you're looking at players 101 through 400, like you just don't have the time to do that. You're like, you're looking for quick things. 
Um, when I'm looking to try to identify hitters back there, I'm looking for I'm looking for guys who are improving their weaker skills. So the guy who strikes out a lot, I want to see maybe some improvement in the strikeout rate the last couple of years, or maybe some improvement in the walk rate. Maybe he's getting a little more, uh, you know, patient to play and finding the right pitch. Uh, I do look at hard contact. You know, I kind of look at it from the extremes though. Like in the middle, I feel like it moves around a lot. But if I get a guy, I like a guy that's like bottom five percent back to back years, like that feels real to me. Like I, you you and I could probably sit here and fight about Victor Robles for two hours if you wanted to, but. <laughs> A guy like that, like he's is, is very low in those numbers, and I think there's something real about that. But we're a guy that hits the ball hard consistently, maybe he's not getting the results. I do like to take a shot on that. Last year, a good example. You know, obviously we pull out good examples, but Tiasco Hernandez is a guy last year that I, I, you know, there's there's like one skill away he strikes out too much, but hits the ball hard all the time. When you get that consistently, I think that matters. Whereas guys in the middle, they do move around a little bit. I don't I don't look at it quite as much. But guys in the extremes, you know, that that bottom 15 percentile, a top 50 percentile, I think the hard contact the barrels do 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 make me kind of take a closer look at somebody. A lot of times for me it's seeing something and being like oh is this real and then taking a closer look so like like last year with Tioscar I did that but you know some guys are in the middle I can kind of move to the next round I know who this guy is I've got to be more efficient with my time and draft prep I can't I can't take a deep dive into every single person there are some people out there that do that and do it really well um, I just don't have the time to do that usually and you know post-type sleeper guys I like guys that came up and struggled or or failed like I got I like a guy like Nick Senzel this year you know I think that's still to be determined how that works out but he is running he is playing every day but a guy like that he was this big hyped rookie guy and then maybe struggled his first First time up and there's a lot of guys in the majors that come up and they struggle with strikeouts they struggle with batting average and i like to you know maybe take a second look at, look at a guy like that like was that real i mean you can look at the extreme example of that is obviously byron buxton who you know struggled for years and now is an mvp candidate and i think everybody was on him anyway so that's not one that really you know you can kind of point to but you know, and just uh, and with pitchers, you know, same kind of thing. Like you're looking for improvement and stuff. You're looking for guys who maybe are one stat away from being really good. Like maybe if they if they fix the walk rate by four percent, they could be really good. So I'm looking for maybe that one. You know, maybe a guy who added a third pitch last year. We talked or two years ago. We talked about Montas added that splitter. So I'm looking for something tangible to grab onto, like why this guy maybe could take that next step up and. You know, a lot of that is a lot of that is just really digging into stuff and spending time on. It. I think we all spend a lot of time finding guys, but um, those are kind of the first things I look at. When I'm trying to look at for you know th- those back uh, you know 150 to 400 kind of guys that I'm looking for guys to target late in drafts. It's kind of funny because the things you're you're looking for to target those players are also things that I would use to dismiss players in yep. that earlier group. I mean, yes, like Zach Plezak, like I, when I did the deep dive on him, and I'm, it's too early for a victory lap on anything. Right. I didn't see. In the underlying numbers, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see things that changed with his pitch mix or his approach that I felt so good about that he was going to just come back and do what he did in the shortened season again. And it was really easy for me to tell myself the story of also shorter season for him because he missed some time. Central schedule, so really easy schedule on top of that. I mean, I saw reduced velo with the increased slider usage and a guy that had pretty good command, but a guy that never was supposed to be this good and at a career high price, there was no way I could talk myself into it because much like you described earlier uh, with Luzardo, there was always someone in the room with me who was a believer in police act. Yeah. So I just completely missed on him this season and so far so good. But um, yeah, I that, think uh, those, that those tangible skills. The- the 2020 strikeout right at Plesak is kind of scary looking like an outlier. We don't know that yet. He's only 32 innings, but like you look at his fan graph page and you're like, oh boy, that number really sticks out. <laughs> and then, a little bit where it's funny. I wasn't the Plesak guy either. I ended up with him in one draft because I was in a room where nobody was the Plesak guy. I ended up with him like a round or two past ADP. And I know that isn't, and those, those picks never work out. You never get to the point where like, 
I don't really love this guy, but here he is. I better take him now. Like it seems like those never work out. I ended up with him in, in one draft and um, you know, obviously maybe if he can stop facing the white Sox, that might help too. Like he hasn't faced a non-central team since 2019. So he, it's crazy that he hasn't they, this year. They have, they've been out been outside the division or the AL or NL central last year. But um, I like to see what happens when he gets out of the guys. Maybe they're comfortable with him. I want to see, uh, I want to see what happens because the control is really good. Um, I haven't really made my decision on uh, on whether he's a bust or not yet, but uh, hasn't started out good. But I want to kind of see him uh, get around the league a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, and you mentioned Nick Senzel. I'm in on him this year too, so I'm kind of just waiting it out and expecting it to get better. I mean, it it's not a terrible start when you look at some of the underlying numbers. He is striking out less, he's walking more, and he's running. Like that, those are those are good things. And even for for Robles, who I guess we're on very different sides on, uh, he, look, he doesn't hit the ball hard, and he didn't hit the ball hard a couple of years ago when he was good, which I think has been the the crux of me getting too much Victor Robles for two draft seasons now, and it's not it's not looking real good for me 26 games in, but he's walking more than ever, and he's striking out less than he did in the shortened season. That, to me, gives me that little bit of hope. A- am I frustrated that he's one for four as a base stealer? Yeah, absolutely. He's got one RBI. I mean, like it's a horrible start. I'm not trying to say it's not, but at least when there's some underlying skills growth, it, to me, that's enough reason to be patient and to kind of stick to the the analysis that brought me to him in the first place. You're sticking with that 1.9% barrel rate, huh? Hell yeah. Yeah, see, <laughs> because I didn't draft him for barrels. I, I drafted him for as a guy that is going to play every day because of his defense, put the ball in play more than he did in the shortened season and use the speed to be decent. Like he'll be decent in average. If he gets to the top of the lineup, even against lefties, he'll score a decent number of runs. Cause that lineup's pretty good. And he's going to run a lot because that's his best way to provide value offensively is to steal bases. Yeah. It's funny. We talked about, we did our, we did our fade show on the, on the podcast and like last year he was a huge fade of me because of the price. Like this mm-hmm. year, I wasn't targeting him, but I think where the price was this year, I, I we, we mentioned him on the show and I was like, I, I still don't think he can hit, but I think you're at the point now where the price was at a point where if you are, if you need stolen bases at that point, they're out. I don't, I don't think he was a bad pick. So I, 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 I think last year was a price thing for me. This year was more a, uh, I think he's priced correctly. It's obviously been a horrible start. Like it's hard to have one RBI after 90 at bat or 90 <laughs> plate appearance. Like it's, it's hard to like not come up with a guy on third and hit a soft ground ball to short and get an RBI. Like it's just, it's going to come around a little bit. Yeah, the, the one for four stolen bases is, is not great, but I, I don't think that we worry that much about his speed or him, you know, converting stolen base. It's just a matter of getting on base. And he is doing a little bit more. Um, you know, you'd like to see him get back to that leadoff spot at some point. That'd be really good. But uh, I think that story is still to be told. I think we're at, uh, you know, we're at May 6th. I think a lot of people are in this last year 60 game mindset where like you got to produce right now and everything's got to happen right now. And I think with Robles, you know, we've got five months left of the season. Like there's a, it's a long, people forget how long baseball season is. And, you know, this, uh, this, you, you still might come out on top on that one by the time the year ends. Yeah. I'm going to probably eat some crow in the meantime, though, because people are going to keep throwing. I mean, he's the, people think, uh, yeah. think, think of me when they think of Victor Robles now, if they listen to fantasy <laughs> pods, which is, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I ever set out for that distinction. I think I just earned it by talking way too much about the player. <laughs> um, but I want to ask you if you had a draft season mulligan, one hitter and one pitcher a do-over, either someone you missed out on or someone you have too much of. And we'll throw out the guys that got hurt because that's that's not fun. Who would those mulligans be? You want to go hitter or pitcher first? Let's go hitter first. So hitter for me um, is probably Yuan Moncada right now. Um, you know, hasn't been terrible. He's hitting, uh, what is he hitting, 274. He's got three home runs. The scary thing to me is there's no stolen bases. Uh, Derek, he hasn't, he hasn't attempted a stolen base since September 15th, 2019. Wow. Um, 
which is kind of crazy. Didn't steal, didn't steal base last year. And I wonder, like, my thing on Moncada in the, in the preseason was I really liked the steps up he took from 2017 to 2018 to 2019 when it comes to strikeout rate and hard hit. Like, everything was kind of building towards him really breaking out in 2020. And I think in my mind, I threw out 2020 as his COVID season. Like, he got it earlier. He, he talked midseason about, I haven't felt good all year. I felt tired. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why he's not running. And I wonder if I should have totally tossed it out because he's not running again. Um, I thought, you know, I thought maybe 2019 was a building block for stardom. Whereas, you know, now I'm like thinking like, wow, if he could get to that as his ceiling, I'd feel pretty good about it. So I just, I think I've changed my mindset a little bit on him. I did end up with him in the main event, like the fifth round. He was a big target for me. I thought that, you know, you look at 2019, I know the BABIP was insane. I get that. He was not going to have a 406 BABIP ever, but you're talking about a guy that, uh, you know, is young, was, it was a huge prospect. I had 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases. I thought maybe, maybe you can get to a 3015 season or even a 3020 season. And then I think the, the 15 and 20 kind of feels impossible right now. And I don't know whether some of that is well, you could say White Sox mindset, but Tim Anderson pretty much steals every time he's on base. So uh, it's clearly not that. Lourdes is letting them run. I don't know. The K's are, the K's are back to the 2019 level, which I do like. He, he spiked last year there, so I do like that. But uh, I'm a little worried that maybe he doesn't have quite the ceiling that I thought he did uh, maybe, say, six weeks ago. I, mean, I think that's fair. I think the thing that we saw with Moncada earlier in his career, too, is 12 for 18 as a base dealer back in 2018, then 10 for 13 in that big breakout year in yeah. 19. So maybe to maintain efficiency he has to run less and if, if running less means six to eight bags going forward instead of the 10 that looked like it could have become 15 pretty easily yeah. that is somewhat disappointing i think he's a really good example of a guy that does everything you want in Statcast, though right i mean you look at his Statcast page it's red ink that 2019 page is all red yes, it is yeah. And, and that's what I, that's what I love going to 2020. I mean, it seemed like he was taking, it seemed like he was ready to like be, the, be one of the next stars. And it's just, I don't know. It's I, I think maybe I was a little too glib and just tossing out 2020. I'm like, Oh, he had COVID. Let's throw that out. Where, you know, some of the skills looks this year are kind of looking that way. I mean, it's, we're, what is he? 116 plate appearances in. So I think we, we still might get some good stuff and that, that park becomes really good to hit it in the summer. So I'm still hopeful, but uh, I just wonder, you know, the hard hit rate is, is down under 40% this year. I just, uh, I have, a, I have a few more doubts than I did six, six weeks ago. Maybe it's a guy that I would have looked at a little different if I could go back and do it. Yeah, that's, no, that's totally fair. I mean, who, I think. Who, who's your hitter mulligan? Who? My hitter mulligan to this point. I actually haven't say, thought much about it. You can't say Victor Robles. We already I, can't, I can't throw Robles <laughs> back. It, you know, initially it was Aaron Judge. There was okay. a mulligan before the season even started. I had a situation in, a, in D.C. where I, I took Judge over Randy Rosarena and because of the lack of steals later. I thought that was a mistake, but that may not have been the actual mistake. It may have been player C. It may have been someone else entirely that I should have taken that spot based on what we're seeing from Randy Arozarena right now. So I think I'm still carrying that one as one where the judge profile is a little easier to find later than the Arozarena supposed profile, the 2020 guy. So I think that's the one that I've carried with me for the last few weeks and I'll probably have another one in the relative near future. Plenty of them as uh, you, more season are you plays that out. Down, are you that down on Rosarena so far? Just the strikeouts? Yeah, I I think with the Rosarena, like, I, I believed in the underlying numbers because the stat cast numbers were good. The flaw that I found later than I wanted to find it was that he does a lot of damage on fastballs. Like a lot of damage on fastballs. In the yeah. postseason... He was fine against breaking balls, had a couple homers up breaking balls, wasn't getting exposed by them, even against some of the league's best teams, right? You'd, you'd assume that if there's a gaping hole in someone's approach, teams like the Astros and the Dodgers are going to find it, and they didn't find it. But 
seeing it just from the little bit we have had a Rosarain in the big leagues, just the splits being so heavy where I think all of his regular season home runs that he's hit to this point as a big leaguer have come on fastballs. That gives me some reservations. Not that he won't be a good big league player over time, but that he's probably going to go through some adjustment phases and it might not happen quickly, right? It might take six weeks or eight weeks before he's comfortable and adjusting and doing the damage that he was doing late last season. Yeah, that's a really good point. I just I just pulled it up as you're saying that he does still have all the home runs against fastballs and he's hitting 118 against breaking pitches right now with a 45% whiff rate. You're right. That the strikeout rate scares me. He still has what three home runs, four stolen bases, hitting 265, hitting the ball hard. But you're right that uh, at some point that strikeout rate maybe pitchers adjusting to him and figuring out that I don't need to throw this guy a fastball ever. And until he adjusts back, that could be it could be a problem. I, I wonder if we're going to look at a, a batting average dip here pretty quick as teams kind of really build their book on him. I imagine he's getting pitched low in the zone a lot too. His ground ball rate is 68.8 percent oh, right geez. now, which wow. is just disgusting. I mean, Eric Hosmer's looking at that and saying, "Dude, that's that's too much. You can't hit the ball on the ground that much. That's." That's not going to work. I guess, I guess we can't make that Vlad Guerrero Jr. joke about too many ground balls anymore, huh? No, no, we cannot. <laughs> um, I, he, hit, he hit a ball last night that wasn't a home run, it was a double against the A's, where Mark Canna literally took a step and it was over his head. Like it was <laughs> that fast that like Canna like kind of froze, took a step back, and it bounced, it bounced on the warning track. It was insane how fast it got out there. There were a bunch of us that saw him hit a ball like that at the Fall Stars game in the AFL a couple of years ago. It was just the hardest hit ball most of us had ever seen in person. <laughs> yeah. It was off the bat, and like it felt like a second later, it was yeah. smashing into the left field wall. It, just an <laughs> absolute freaking laser. I, I think it's interesting because with Vlad Jr., he didn't become this player as quickly as everybody wanted him to be. Yeah. It seemed as obvious as it could ever be that he could still get to that level. You just didn't know how long you have to wait. I, I thought maybe it could be this year because it took Raphael Devers about three years to get to the, yeah. the peak Devers level. So I wish I had more Vlad Jr. I kind of feel like everyone was still generally buying in. So you weren't getting enough of a discount where you felt like, oh, I'm getting away with something here. He can he could not take a step forward, and I'm not making a mistake. I didn't think it was like that at all this draft season. It felt like it was going to cost you quite a bit if you yeah. didn't get that step forward this year. Yeah, I was a pick uh, pick 10 and pick 11 in my two main events. So that's a 15 team, and he was gone by my third pick in both of them, and it would have been someone that I probably would have grabbed there. And it's one of those spots, like I wasn't going to take him early second, and I wanted to take him late third. He was gone, so it's one of those things that sometimes you just don't get a chance to take. I think, you know, we want to you talk about the pros of an auction. Like, that's a, good, that's a good example right there. Like, if you really want Vlad Jr., you go get him. And where in my drafts, I, like, I really didn't even have a chance to get him. So it's uh, I would have liked it, but, uh, yeah, I'm uh, – a little bit of missing out there, but he he's fun enough to watch that I'm 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 good enjoying it uh, without even having him in fantasy. Do you usually play the second chance leagues around Memorial Day? Do you play in those? I I never have. I'm just always at the point where I have enough teams and. I don't know. By Memorial Day, I'm not quite really ready to add to Maybe I had a year where everything was going terribly, and you know, I do have Christian Yelich in the first round in one of my main events. So maybe I'll get there with uh, with that uh, my my frustrating with on your Brewers right now. But uh, how, are you? Uh, how how are you on Yelich as a Brewers fan? Do you kind of think there's something like really wrong and they can't figure it out, or where, uh, where are you writing off 2021 yet? Where are you with him? Uh, we lived through Ryan Braun's intercostal strains and uh, chronic thumb problems here for a long time, so I, I think it's probably trending in that sort of direction. Maybe it's one of those things they haven't quite figured out the best way to manage it yet, and once they do that, it's going to be okay, and we're going to get 135 or 140 games. We're going to get the two, three times a year where Tuesday, Wednesday night rolls around and he's a late scratch and then he misses yeah. the next day and he comes back on Friday and he's fine. Like I, I think that's 
to me, it's like a median outcome, and that's where my my mind wants to go for now. So it's not right. full on panic mode yet. But it, it's weird that we saw Springer come back from his injury and go back on the IL yeah. after a few games back too. So I don't know what's going on with position and, player health in particular. It just seems bizarre. With Springer, it's weird. Like you watched those games, and it looked like he couldn't run to first. Like he hit two home runs. He stole a base, which is crazy to me that he did that. But you watched him, and he was like clearly limping. And I don't. I'm like, I don't know if the Blue Jays don't see this. I don't know if I'm seeing something that's not there, and I'm creating it. But it was very <laughs> clear that he was not running to first base like a normal George Springer run to first base. It's. It, I wasn't. I was. I was. Wasn't surprised he sat a couple games. I wasn't surprised he went back in the aisle. I don't know. It seems weird that we started with that oblique with him, and then the quad just he, he just can't seem to get rid of it. Yeah, it's it's amazing, really, that he has been down this long with an injury that should have been fully healed yeah. by now. Uh, how about your pitching, Mulligan? So uh, the obvious answer, I'm not going to do it because everybody's talking about is Luis Castillo. I ended up putting him in the second round. He, and he hurts because not only has he been terrible, but everybody around him in that range has been fantastic. And Ryan <laughs> Bloomfield had a, had a bloom board yesterday. It was showing like everybody else around him has been really, really good. But I think for me with a pitcher mulligan, it's guys deeper in the draft that maybe I didn't identify that have started out really well that I didn't that, that didn't grab and I wanted to. So I think that when you play in a deep fantasy league, any kind of competitive league, finding those guys late is really key, especially pitching. And mine would be right now, you know, I thought about Dylan Cease, I thought about John Means, but I think a lot of people were on them. Mine would be Anthony Desclafani right now. Um, I think maybe I looked at 2020, I'm like, oh my God, that sucked and it was terrible. And let's just he's he's who he is. But you know, going to the Giants, and then he was really good in 2019. He had a 3-9 ERA in a year. The, the ball was crazy juiced. I mean, it was happy, fun ball year. He had a 24% K rate, a 7% walk rate, and he had 160 innings. Like, he was a really solid pitcher that year. And, you know, moving to the Giants uh, always seems to work, both from whatever they do with pitchers. You look at, you know, Kevin Gossman last year. Um, the park is not quite as good as we, we, we remember in the past, but still a good place to pitch. Um, I just think that, you know, swing strike, it was up to, it's up to 11%. Uh, the K rate's uh, pretty 24% manageable there. The, the walk rate's kind of back to normal away from it was in 2020. I mean, he went in the 23rd and 24th round of my main event drafts. And that seems like a spot that I should have, I should have looked at him a little more going to the giants um, off that 2019 and kind of tossed 2020 a little more. And, um, you know, looking back a, a 24th round pick on Descafani seems really, really smart right now, more than just getting lucky. Yeah, definitely a guy that's much more usable there. And the biggest flaw being masked by the new park, I think, goes a long way towards making him uh, a lot more usable. Yeah. I think mine is is Christian Javier, and I, I liked him coming out of last season. I picked him up almost everywhere, and he really pops in the individual pitch stuff metrics that Eno talks a lot about on rates and barrels. Yeah. So going into the offseason, I'm, I'm like, all right, Christian Javier, I'm, I'm, I'm in on him. I like Urquidy. The Astros are good at developing pitching. Yeah, they're cheaters and they're awful, but they're really good at developing pitching. So I'm going to draft their pitching. And then I just caught wind of a few different takes on Javier that were really bearish on him, saying that it's a complete fluke, total disaster. And that got in my head. And it just it just kind of got me to the point where it was like, instead of being a guy I was targeting all the time at price, he was just kind of another guy that I could get. And I would just let him go by and I probably have him in two leagues at most. And I should have him in half of my leagues, which is really frustrating for someone that you really like who is so affordable. It's really funny how, you know, we do this and we play high levels and you obviously host a bunch of podcasts and 
we can still get stuff getting our head like that. It's still, you can, you can read one or two things and it kind of sticks with you. And it's weird. I try and, I try and block out some of the noise in spring training and, you know, some of that stuff, uh, you know, I, I think the, the key one for me is, is Richard Rodriguez with in Pittsburgh. And like, I loved him in like February. And I was like, this is a guy at his ADP I'm going to have on every team. And then that noise started in spring. Like they were like, Oh, maybe he's not going to close. Maybe we're going to use Kyle Crick. Maybe he's not quite the, and then he got, he got hit a couple times in spring and, I ended up not drafting him. And it, like right now, I mean, it's Pittsburgh, so they're not going to have 40 saves, but he's the guy. He's locked in. He's pitching really well. It's a guy that like I should have taken my what all the work I did to look at him and delve into him and look at I, I loved his history. He was nasty in 2020. And granted, it was a short season, but he, he you could tell he like he was different than he was before. And there was no reason for him not to close. And they want to trade him. Like there's no reason for him not to build up saves and then trade him. Like that makes him is even more valuable in other teams' eyes. So it's funny how a little bit of spring noise or a couple of things you read can really affect people, even to play it the highest levels. And it's hard and it's hard to block it out. Yeah, I wonder what kind of biases were impacting me not drafting Rodriguez more than like, once this draft season. I had him 15th among relievers on my final set of rank. How do you miss out on your 15th ranked reliever in a year like right. this when you're playing in 12 and 15 team leagues? Like he's right there. He, he's yeah. he was right next to Rafael Montero, like in Craig Kimbrell, and I, I got a little bit of all those guys. Will Smith, like I. And I, yeah, here I am just like, oh, I only have one share of a guy that was actually underpriced in pretty much yep. every single draft that I was in this year. Good job. And he's, really and he's, got, and he's got five saves. I mean, that's really good. I mean, it's not it's not Mark Melanson, but it's it's five saves and a zero ERA. And the, the strikeout rate is down. He's not quite there, but it's still 25 and a half percent. It's just a guy that I, I'm frustrated with myself because I just I let some of that uh, some of that noise like you like you called it uh, just get into my head. And it did. You know, it, uh, I think that at some point. Um, you know, I try to get better every every year, but you got to you got to trust your research and trust uh, what you've done more than uh, you know a couple of spring training outings or stories. Yeah, have complete faith in your own process, yeah. not because you're perfect, but just you spent so much time on your process. Why would you abandon that at the very last like that, minute? If you're gonna lose, if you lose in your process, you can at least you know go to the next season feeling good about that. Whereas losing because you didn't trust your process is a, is a terrible feeling. Yeah, because you didn't even test it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hate it. And I've done it before, and I've gotten better at it. And I, you know, 10 years ago, I listened to a lot of noise. I listened to it less, but it's just, uh, you know, and, some, and there, are, there are some articles out there that are really good and can kind of point you in a good direction. But, uh, you know, some of that, uh, figure out what uh, what to focus on and what's good and what to kind of dig deeper on and, and, and other stuff is, is a skill. And that's uh, you know, something I'm trying to always get better at. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about in-season management before we go. Um, I'd like to know, what are you weighing in your decisions to utilize two-star pitchers? And I say this having been gombered, and I think you yep. might have been gombered as I well. Yep. Uh, I, I there, there was definitely the, I think it was Alex Chamberlain, who was like, I just don't understand how you guys all started him, which I think right. was a fair thing to put yeah. out there. Like, the, I, I responded to it, though, in a fair way. And like, here, here, here's the steps I, I got, did to get there. So I think that... You know, it was, uh, yeah, and I don't think he met that as like a, I, I told you guys kind of thing. It was a, a general question. I think it was a, it led to some good discussion online. Yeah, no, I think he was more yeah. like, I wasn't on him at all. Why were you yeah. guys on him? Not like, haha, you guys are stupid. I don't think right. Alex really operates yeah. that way I don't at think all. So either. But what, what factors into your decisions with two start pitchers when skills aren't necessarily good, but matchups are really good? How do you choose like when and where to actually take those chances? I think the most important part and probably what I failed with Gomber is making sure that you know what the matchups are right now. Like 
at the Giants in my head sounds like a great matchup, but then you look at their numbers against lefties and they're like a top, they're like 10th in OPS and um, 10th and 12th in WRC plus like they're a pretty good team against lefties and they're a different team right now. They're just hot right now. And whether that's going to sustain or not, we, we don't know, but they're, they're a good, they're a good hitting team right now. And um, you know, the at Arizona was the second part. And he actually pitched well in that start. Um, but you look at Gomber, like I went back and watched that start and he just had nothing in that start either. Like, I don't think it mattered who he was facing. He, he left more curveballs like upper half middle of the zone than I've ever seen a pitcher. Do. Like it was just, he had nothing coming out of the bullpen. When you get a, a fringy star like that, that has nothing. You're just going to get smoked. But I think a lot of it is making sure that the matchups are, are what that, what I think they are right now. And like, you think that like, like last year or the year before at giant sounds great. I think you got to make sure you know what you're doing now. It's funny. You look at like like White Sox right now as an example. Like in my head, like, oh, I want to avoid that. That's a that's a matching team. But there's no Luis Robert. There's no Eloy Jimenez. That's a different team than they were a month ago. You have to factor in the fact that teams in preseason aren't what they are right now. So looking at that is important. Um, you know, having a reason why you pick someone up rather than just two starts. We need wins. We need K. So you have to you have to look at those guys, but really dig in deep and I think maybe not stress about it the first couple of months, maybe not really focus on them and maybe see where I am at wins and wins and strikeouts on June 1st. And if I, if I'm really bad in wins and K's, maybe I need to focus on that a little more, but if I'm in the middle of the pack and I'm doing well there, like maybe not force them then quite as much. And, you know, eighth and ninth pitchers on your roster and a D team are always going to have some, some burn factor. They're always going to be fringy. They're always going to have some risk, but you know, maybe in a week where I don't see anybody I love, you know, maybe throw in that middle reliever that, uh, that has good ratios because we're in an era right now where a lot of those guys are getting wins because pitchers, starting pitchers are coming out earlier. There's some guys that throw two innings in the middle of the start. So maybe you can get, you know, six, seven strikeouts out of someone, whereas before you're like, oh, I can't do this because they're not getting a strikeout. So I think that uh, maybe shifting a little more towards those guys, you don't want too many of those guys because wins and, wins and saves still matter. But um, so maybe being a little bit smarter about matchups, a little bit smarter about maybe do I really need this? And then kind of also looking at maybe who my options are, I think are the, uh, we're always going to want two start guys, you know, getting two starts in a week is, is a big edge of the pitch. Well, but uh, maybe being a little bit safer about them in, a, in an era where it seems like uh, we get a lot of strikeouts. We're getting a lot of blowups too. It seems like a lot of, uh, you know, Freddie Peralta, your boy last night, you know, it re- adjusted well, but like I look up and we're five batters and get up five runs. It seems like we've had a lot of extreme first inning blowups this year, which are, which are always painful. That series in Philadelphia for the Brewers is going as poorly as the one against the Dodgers went surprisingly well. Yeah, I mean, if you really just merge is. the results together, it's going to be a 500 stretch probably yeah. for for eight games, and it's not going to make that much of a difference. But the the way they got there was highly unusual. Uh, last question for you: dropping players like every, every waiver column you read is mostly here's some guys to add, and yep. very few columns are here are the guys you have to cut. And I. I wrote the ads and drops column for a couple of years for the athletic and I'm not doing it this year, but it was always hard to write the drop section because it felt like you were categorically dismissing players that depending on your league setup, maybe, maybe the advice shouldn't be to cut Buster Posey in your two catcher 15 team league that actually has 20 reserve spots where there are no catchers available, right? Like that, that was always kind of in the back of my mind, but some people are just not good at dropping players. I think the more common mistake is the injury optimism and waiting for guys who are going to come back, hopefully soon, who don't, and then prospect optimism, guys that you're hoping are going to get called up but are more like months away than weeks away. So what have you learned over the years that you wish you'd figured out earlier with dropping players? Yeah, I mean, you hit on the two big ones. I think that the stashing prospects thing is something I learned from, and I don't really do it. It have to it has, every once in a while. If I have like a a really healthy team, maybe I'll grab someone. But you look at like, you know, look at Bobby Witt Jr. People were drafting him, and there, there was buzz he could make the team. Mondesi hasn't played yet, and Witt still hasn't come up. So it's just one of the things. Like it was the perfect situation for him to play right away, and. 
I think he had, like, I have to look, but I think he had like 35 at bats in the minors. It was something really low. I think they wanted to get him a couple months. So like prospect is key. I think you have to be savage with injuries. If it's Christian Yelich, you're not dropping him. There's too much upside and we don't have an injury, but like mid range guys who are out four to six weeks, like it's very rare. I just don't cut those guys. I, I'm in a bind right now myself, and I might be making a mistake with Sixto Sanchez. Um, I still have him in the main event, and I'm at the point where I've decided if he has one setback, I'm going to drop him. But I'm going to wait. Uh, I saw yesterday there was a three- to four-week uh, guess on him. So I'm, I'm probably going to push it to June 1st, but if he has one setback, he's a drop for me. But I think I need to – and I think I, when I'm trying to start I need to be more aggressive with drops. I think uh, Scott Pianowski says a lot. If you At the end of the year, if you don't look back and you drop one person or two people you regret, it means you probably weren't aggressive enough and you're missing out on guys you should add. So I think that – not, I think the paranoia is I drafted this guy in the 16th round. I liked him six weeks ago. How could I ever drop him where things are different than they were and things are, whether it be performance or injuries or situation on team, or it's like suddenly a guy's getting platooned or something like that. I think you just have to be aggressive. There's so many, there's guys you want to add, especially in a 10 or 12 team or that are, they're going to be breakout kind of guys. I think you have to be, you have to be more aggressive and I'm learning. I, I've gotten better at it. I used to like never drop someone. I'm like, Oh, I picked this guy for a reason. Um, you know, you don't want to drop someone week two that you drafted week, week, week in the 15th round. But you know, at this point in the year, I think you have to be really aggressive and savage with the cuts with the thought that I can't be worried that a couple is going to come back and bite me. Cause they probably will. But for the most part, you're going to get more production and, and happiness from the guys you add than maybe a couple of a uh, couple of guys you regret dropping. So I think being more aggressive and what you mentioned with prospects and injuries, especially in an NFPC type format, there's no IL, there's no the reserves is seven spots for what do we start twenty three guys like it's every roster is gold. Especially we have we have uh, you know we have changes on Fridays. You can put guys in and out. You're going to want some flexibility. You want to bench pitchers with bad matchups. Like it's just. You want some flexibility there. And if you've got three injured guys and two prospects, you just kind of kill your, you kill yourself. You kill your ability to do anything midweek. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely do. I think that's all really good advice. And yeah, I would say the further you can get from being glued to your draft day values when you're making your yep. in season decisions, the, the better off you're going to be. I mean, holding on to, I don't know, Patrick Corbin, probably my pitching mulligan in a few leagues where I have him just because it's yep. been so much damage to the ratios. I had, I had some reservations about him, kind of tricked myself into going after him. Big mistake. Forget what you paid for him. You got to let him go if you feel like you got to let him go. And got I think to- on that note too, the with the draft price, also your fab price. If you spend one hundred and twelve dollars on a guy, it doesn't mean you have to hold him next year. If it, you know, if you made a mistake and you bid big and it didn't work out, you know, somebody's once you spend that money, he's just a guy on your roster at that point. Like I know you, you want to give someone time like that. Obviously, you liked him for a reason, but if it's not working, you know, you can't you can't hold on to just because you overspent in fab. And I think I've made that mistake too in the past. I'm like, oh my god, I spent so much money on this guy, I can't just drop him. Whereas you know. At that point, he's just another guy in your roster. If you got to drop him, you got to drop him. Yeah, sunk cost fallacy, right? Yeah, the money's is. out the door, so just yep. make good decisions at this point. Yep. Don't keep making bad decisions because you already spent the best. You made one bad decision. Don't turn it into four, exactly. I think, exactly. is the, the takeaway there. Yeah. Well, Scott, really appreciate your insight. I think this is something that a lot of fantasy players out there can take something from, hopefully several somethings from. I always enjoy talking with you. I get smarter when I talk to you, so at the very least, you've helped me, and I appreciate that. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find your work. Yeah, I'm on I'm on RotoWire. We do the uh, the Sunday night, Monday morning uh, RotoWire Fantasy Baseball podcast. Me and Jeff Erickson do that every week. Uh, also doing a doing a golf podcast this year. We're doing the gaming golf podcast on RotoWire with uh, Jeff Erickson, also and also Jeff Ritter from Morning Read. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're just kind of starting to get that going, but uh, picked a 90 to one winner last week, so it's uh, hopefully we nice. get a little buzz on that. So that that worked out well. Sam Burns in the uh, in the Valspar Championship, having some fun uh, talking about that. But mostly the, it, more than anything, the baseball podcast. We have a lot of fun with that. We talk about Fab every week. We talk about. Uh, 
all the injuries from over the weekend kind of wrap up the weekend of baseball and look forward to the week before. So I know a lot of, uh, hopefully a lot of players uh, enjoy that and get some, get some value of that. We, we really enjoy uh, and do it doing that. It's kind of my favorite thing to do every week. It's always like, Oh, it's Sunday night. I got to prep for this and do it. Then we start. And it's, it's always so fun. And, and same with talking to you. I really appreciate you inviting me on here. It's uh, it's really good to uh, good to see you. It's fun that we got to do this on, on zoom. So we get to see each other. Hopefully we'll be able to do that in person at one of these, uh, you know, whether it be a, a fall league or a, or a main event, uh, you know, NFBC at some point and uh, have a drink and, and hang out. So I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you inviting me. It's always, uh, always fun to talk to you. You are the best at uh, the, everybody that does this. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. That's a very high praise. I know you listen to a lot of stuff out there too. So it means a lot to me. I think we're going to have a, a record attendance at first pitch Arizona if it happens this year like if everything comes together and that that event is what we thought it could be it's going to be like twice as big as everyone's going to want to get out and see each other again and watch live baseball together. It's going to be a blast. And I, I think everybody's coming to Vegas for NFPC, whether you draft the main event or not. I think <laughs> everybody's coming to Vegas in March next year just to hang out. Yeah. And I, if, if you're listeners, you know, even if you don't play, I know the main event's really expensive and people, there's always arguments about that. Like if you just come out to Vegas and hang out is a awesome group of people. There's so many people out there. Everybody's just talking baseball and there's people that aren't drafting. There's people that are hanging out. It's a, uh, it's a, you've been out there. It's a really fun weekend full of really good and fun people. You you know, I think you on Twitter every once in a while you get some people to argue back and forth about stuff. But you meet people in person; it's a really fun weekend. So I would highly recommend that. I think it's going to be every. It's been two years now where it hasn't been really been like full uh, full attendance. That I think it's going to be a massive year of uh, you know watching basketball, drafting baseball, talking and hanging out with friends. It's a uh, it's a really fun weekend. It's going to be it's going to be a big showing next year. I think too. It'd be pretty cool. I wonder if Greg and Tom and Derek are going to put together uh, some like live OCs or something to lower that barrier a little bit and, and yeah. find a way to make it happen with more volume. I mean, I'm sure the the wheels are already spinning in Greg's head. I, I have no no doubt about that. I imagine, I imagine so too. Be sure to give Scott a follow on Twitter at Scott Jenstead. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one at theathletic.com slash podcast. $3.99 a month gets you in the door. For Scott Jenstead, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back on Sunday. 